You're listening to the Black Box Music Podcast with Brian and Nick, where we're talking to artists about what it's like to get your music heard in the ever-changing music industry, uh, how it is to use tools like social media and other platforms as an independent artist in a changing music business. Today we sit down with Yorkshire, England's The Howl and the Hum, joining us straight off an overnight drive from London, performing their last show before England shut down due to the pandemic. They talked to us about their early beginnings writing songs as an acoustic duo, all the way to filling the missing musical pieces to create the Howl and Hum sound. Here's more from Sam, Connor, and Brad now. You're listening to the Black Box Music Podcast, and today we are excited to have from Yorkshire, England, the Howl and the Hum. We're sitting down today with Sam, Connor, and Brad. Guys, here's a couple of things that we learned about you before we sat you down. You started as an acoustic duo in 2017 when you became a full band. And taking inspiration from an Allen Ginsberg poem, How, you came up with the name The Howl and Hum. You've been described as indie guitar pop by many and released your debut EP, God Manchester Chinese Bridge, in spring of 2017. From here, you started to get buzz in the Yorkshire, England scene. 2018 kept you touring through the US and Scotland with appearances at festivals like Latitude, Citadel, The Great Escape, Live at Leeds, Stand and Calling, and the BBC's Biggest Weekend. You've been a hit on BBC Radio with uh, such tastemakers as Annie Mack, Steve Lamack, and Press Darlings to some uh, Wonderland, Music Week, Clash, and more. A global pandemic didn't stop you guys from releasing your debut LP, appro- appropriately titled Human Contact, which we're going to find out more about that, uh, which features one of our favorites, Hall of Fame, which has garnered over a million and a half streams alone on Spotify. We're excited to learn more about you guys and your music. Happy to have you here all the way from the UK via technology. Welcome to the show, The Howl and the Hum. Hey, how's it going? Because. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, got thanks, it, for, thanks for joining. So this is crazy. We got a, we got a lot to discuss with you guys because Nick and I became fans a while ago, you guys. Dig the sound. We want to take a journey down into, um, you know, kind of how you guys started. Um, you know, usually, you know, you meet some guys who have the same kind of musical interests or was it just random? Give us a little kind of walk through memory lane of how this all came together uh well we uh all met in york which is nothing like new york nothing like its namesake it's a very quaint very british tiny stone walled stone pavemented city in the north of england and in a city like that where there's a, a university and lots and lots of old pubs and churches and not too much else. There's a lot of different pubs that are constantly putting music on, music on every night of the week. So there's a gig or a a folk night or um, an acoustic jam or, you know, something like that going on um, in a bar or a pub or underneath a church or in the back room of, uh, you know, a game shop or something Mm -hmm. um, every night. And we were all different uh, attendees of these nights. And I think we just met going to those we it was fate um, you guys were all in the right place at the right time simple twist of fate several simple twists of fate (laughs) but yeah it's um it it was just us all sort of like being in the right Mm -hmm. place and eventually starting to play on each other's songs i think brad and i would have started playing some bob dylan songs some tom Waits songs together something like that at these open mics and um connor would connor and i would have met outside having a cigarette discussing how much we liked each other's songs and yeah, it's almost like a weird little love story to each other. We all fell in Very cool. With. Very cool. I, I, York, is that the home of the peppermint patty? <laughs> I think it I haven't is. heard that one. It's the home of the Kit Kat. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Okay, it's, all right. It's a, it's a very confectionery-based town, isn't it? There's, <laughs> that was like the, the main industry here. Sweet. Sweet. And tourism, but, uh, yeah. I feel like yeah, we should do some tourism for York. If you want to come, it does, the city smells of chocolate. Yeah, right. you know, I've been, I've been to like Hull. I've been to Hull, England. Hull's not like, far. Which, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of how you kind of like geographically disassociate. Well, London, <laughs> you know, anytime I'd tour there, we'd stay in London and drive out to the gig and then kind of come back to London. On the younger days out in England, yeah, we'd take a van and stay in those cities, but we quickly learned that if we had a day off the next day or something, 
the last place we wanted to be was actually Hull. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the people in Hull, what do you say now? You know, there was just uh, like, yeah, it's just an interesting culture. So <laughs> it's a very interesting culture. I can imagine quite a shock if you're not used to it. I think it takes, yeah. Um, some would call it an acquired taste, but we love it now. We love, we actually adore our, our gigs in, and nights in Hull. Mm-hmm. We, we our, treasure Hull them. is like the best. It's like, it's the, it, the tourism is, is great in Hull. The people are different, I'll give you that, but like they're incredibly friendly. They might just seem abrasive initially. There's, right. a, there's that aquarium place, the deep. It's amazing. And out, mm. outside, well, I think the best takeaway pizzas in, in England are in Hull. Are we well. selling this? Which is, guys? Are we selling it? <laughs> I should seriously be like on the industry I'm, bar for Hull. As soon as you guys come out of lockdown, I'm, I'm going to hang. I'm going to come hang. <laughs> uh, I see Joy Division poster in the background yeah. of your uh, thing, Sam. What was the what was the the group or the couple? Usually every band's kind of got like, oh, we all like this together, you know. Sound yeah. was there a couple bands that you guys really connected on? I guess Joy Division are one of them. New Order, especially, we mm-hmm. um, were listening to a lot of for the album. I'm not sure if there was one particular band though. I know what you mean. Nearly every I think band. The National, remember? Oh, the National could be it as well. Yeah, we really love the I National and LCD Sound System like- as well. The band like formed slowly as well. So if you think about when we first were playing, it was very much like Bob Dylan and John Martin and acoustic singer-songwriters. I remember yeah. we talked about Breaking Bad a lot because it was around that time. But then it's been so many years that this has been over because me and Sam actually first played together back in like 2014. So it's been like a really slow evolution. So the bands and references that we, which all of us have got together on is like totally separate to maybe how we all individually first started to get to know each other, if that makes sense. Who are you guys listening to right now? Is there any new new records that you've liked? Uh, I really like um, Big Thief and Adrian Lenker's solo record, the lead singer of Big Thief. Her album just came out and I think that's really beautiful. I think um, I've basically been listening to like uh, women based in LA. I've been listening to like Phoebe Bridges, Caroline Polachek, Mia Folick, all these like, uh, yeah, just w- women in their twenties who write pop music, and it's I, I don't know why LA is such a brilliant breeding ground for that at the moment, but yeah, I think Phoebe, Bridge, Phoebe Bridges and Fiona Apple have released the two best albums of this year, in my opinion. Interesting, that's cool. Cool. What about you, Connor? I've been listening to more. I'm normally not a fan of them, but I've been listening more to live albums, and I think it's probably a product of been uh, locked down and not been able to go to gigs that much uh, mm. well at all so i've been listening to a lot of live records and it's like i say normally i find them a bit like not lackluster but obviously being in the room such a big part of that but um, yeah so like the big ones oh, being yeah. loads of the i really like the lcd sound system one the shut up and play the hits of it the record's mm. called um that DVD, is pretty, that that uh, that movie's good. The film is yeah, so yeah, good. It's so sad. And then who else? Uh, Silver Nesto just released a really good live thing. So watch that. And then the classic one's got to be Bruce Springsteen at the Apollo. That's pretty. I think it's the Hammersmith Apollo. Mm-hmm. That's pretty pretty special. But yeah, so a lot of live albums really more than anything. That's cool. Very cool. How about you, Brad? Yeah, that that new the latest Silver Nesto record. It's my favourite thing at the moment, I think. Really? Sort of like initially thought it was just a couple of tracks that I was really into, but that's really grown on me. Hmm. Um, and also that uh, this, Sam actually put on, we, we had a bit of a long car journey recently, Sam put on that Sophie and Stevens album. And I sort of listened to it like part of it through, I was listening to something else in headphones and was hearing parts, but since got really into that. Um, hmm. And other than that, still just keep obsessively uh, Listening to the White Stripes, I can't really ever get off that. So. There you go. It's a good band. <laughs> what a, yeah, I saw them once. They're they're just killed. I couldn't believe two people could kill it like like. Oh, they sound they insane. Just, What's crazy is I did one of their first tours. I was their opening act for like three months, but it was all oh, clubs like 150 to 300 people big and half of the tour was like half full shows so there wasn't many people in there and we didn't really know them our agents you know worked together somehow the tour happened 
and it was for their distill record. So right before the one that made it big and, um, you know, made, made buddy buddies and stuff with them, but I was always so impressed with, they always played their headlining set was like 35 to 45 minutes long. Mm. And, but there was no breaks. There was no addressing the crowd. It was just like, damn, came out. Done. (laughs) Every night they leave you wanting more. And I, I took such a big lesson out of that. Like with our shows going forward, like dude, fuck the 90 minute show. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I love the Rolling Stones, but I get bored after fucking two hours of hearing the Rolling Stones, you know, yeah. like, give me that hour that I'll never forget because I'll come back for that hour again, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's it was, like, basically, they're like pretty much a punk band in their ethics, aren't they? Like, obviously not musically necessarily, yeah, but like the, the way they used to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ramones would just like, come out and just kill your face and then leave. Yeah, yeah, you know? and like seemingly not care what anyone thinks. It's no. like pretty. It's cool. Yeah, I it's do enjoy as well. To... Can we just just point out that Brad's favorite band is the White Stripes, and he's the bass player in our band. Excellent. Well, very What's influential. The bass in the, in the White Stripes, <laughs> maybe bass drum. So uh, you know the band gets going. And stuff starts to click. What did you? What did you guys go for? What was like the, the, the things that kind of broke loose first for you guys? You know, like manager. Or what was like the team? How, what was the first parts of those things that came together? Um, I was sort of uh, being managed um, when I was about twenty. Uh, I was still at university in York, and uh, I played a gig above a bar in york and someone this guy came to see me who was the son of someone that i hang out with in pubs a lot who said there's a guy called dave who is the who is the main thank you on our album but he's a guy in his 60s who kind of taught me a lot about music one of the guys that where you just like you go into a pub or a bar in york and he's usually there and he's usually bought you a drink in the first five minutes and he's told you everything about an album that you had no idea that you loved and then, you know, he's, he's that sort of guy. Turns mm-hmm. out his son worked in the music industry. His son heard me pass my music on to his manager, his boss, who, it, who was the guy that found Coldplay. And then he managed me for a couple of years. And then he passed us on to his mate, who manages us now. He's a guy called Adrian. But it was like, it was this very slow build of building up a little team around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just sort of sent off to a bunch of little songwriting sessions, really, with a bunch of producers in London with... Um, either members of bands that were sort of operating in London as songwriters or producers who were sort of there to, I guess, like flesh out uh, a young songwriter's uh, ego and uh, songwriting abilities and things like that. So I I sort of got, I I went to London uh, a few, maybe once a month or something to go write with a different songwriter. And in the meantime, back in York, I was writing my own songs and then we started to play these songs I was writing as a band and it just sort of st- it, it, it kind of politely rolled on like that. There, there wasn't a major, there wasn't like the gig where everyone was at, <laughs> like the yeah. ghost of John Peel was there and uh, John <laughs> Lydon was there. No, it's like, it was, uh, we, 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 we put in a lot of time in a lot of rehearsal rooms to no one and didn't play anyone, any of our music for ages, except, you know, a couple of old men at open mics in New York until, we released our first music, really. That's nice. very cool. Yeah, there's always that Dave. You know, my, my problem is, is you never know if Dave is actually that guy who's going to pass on wisdom and help you out, <laughs> or if he's just that creepy old guy that wants to hang out with you. But fortunately, well, luckily, guys, luckily, Dave's a very pleasant combination <laughs> of both of those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, you know, it's a stepping stone in uh, getting you guys started. So yeah, exactly. That's really cool. So 2017, you guys put out an EP, right? Uh, was that kind of you? You just said you did. You you were only playing your music to like close mates, like, you know, really kind of tight knit circle. Was this kind of the first? Here we are. Now everyone can hear it. Was there? Was that the um, mm. God Manchester Chinese yeah, bridge? Pretty much. It was the first thing that we released on any um, platform. Really, we I think we'd, we'd we'd released like a little CD that we basically just sold 
to a few of our friends, gave to a few of our mates as well and sold a few at gigs, which was a live, uh, two songs that we'd recorded live. But God Manchester was sort of the first one where we were like, you know what, it'd be fucking cool to release a song called God Manchester Chinese Bridge first out of everything and just announce yourselves as a band like that. And it's this song and it's got all these sounds and it's got this sort of like menacing guitar part in it and these, um, you know, very personal lyrics mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it, yeah, it went really well. It was it was a bit bonkers how well that song did in retrospect because I don't think we've ever quite had a single launch like that. I don't know if you guys felt the same as me, but when we released yeah, that, I know it, it got got on a really big playlist, and we'd never really experienced what, what streaming was like before. And that mm-hmm. song got like a million plays in a couple of months or something. It was it was just bonkers. How and did, that, um... that whole that whole period, sorry, as well. The guy who recorded that really kind of pointed us in a direction as well like because we were, I mean he compared us to like the Walk Boys or something he thought we, we were yeah, when we yeah. probably were we were like a really folky band or whatever before we went in and then he's his production and the way he kind of pushed it because another song on that EP called Mania that's a bit like more beaty and we'd never used like drum loops or anything before mm-hmm. big synth sounds and stuff and it definitely pointed us in a direction that we're still trying Exploring. to find the end too yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's the coolest part about the creation process you know myself even is just like you know especially when you've already released material there's that period of searching for the new you know mm. like thrill of the chase isn't it the thrill yeah of the chase, like so. you know what is it we're oh we're a guitar rock band let's put some play with some sense see what happens yeah oh we're always used to the drummer but what happens if we loop some drums you just you never rule anything out man and you know i, I hear some progression in a lot of your guys' songs which is really cool so a lot of the stuff that we we talk about um on the podcast is kind of like digging into like like how things went from A to B, like from, you know, business side of things. Cause it's music business has always been this, like nobody really knows how to do whatever they're doing. You know, they're like, I think we need to be on playlists and then everybody wants to be on playlists and they're missing the other opportunity that's already happening down here. And, you know, each, each artist seems to kind of like get one of the pieces, right. You know, and if you have a good team, then they help you get all the pieces, right. But, you know, as you're like figuring out your way, you know, like that, that song, for example, that you guys put out was, uh, did you guys have to beg, borrow, steal to get into the playlist or did, did somebody just dig it and, or what, what yeah, went down? I think somebody just dug that one. It was, um, it was, I, I find, I don't know if it's the same. Uh, over there but over here it seems like a lot of the music industry is decided by about a dozen men who all go for pints with each other mm-hmm. there's like this weekly like yeah. a weekly meeting almost like uh is it the stone cutters in the simpsons i imagine they're all wearing these like red gowns and stuff but really they just meet <laughs> somewhere in like yeah. some bar in, in soho in central london getting really pissed and like hand taking lots of illicit and substances in, in the toilets and deciding what goes on various playlists and uh you know who's going to be top of new music fridays and i think we luckily had a friend in that group who'd managed to infiltrate that little group and give someone a, a nudge in a particular direction until cool. uh, our song was just put on this playlist and that that playlist at that time we were talking about this the other day because we've got another song on that playlist now that's not performing as well as that one did at that time but that playlist at that time was very well shared by spotify and became yeah. at the top mm. of a lot of searches and things like that and now that Three years uh, later, what a different world, huh? Right, yeah. It's, it's, it's just so strange how quickly that can change and how um, sometimes I find it a bit scary to be a bit too aware of that sort of stuff. I feel like it can it can, it can lead you down a rabbit hole that can lead to some dark things, but sometimes it's, you know, you got to keep your finger on some sort of pulse. Mm-hmm. The thing that I quite like about that whole side of it, which I wasn't sure how it all worked, because, you know, yeah, we released our first song, and then I remember just getting an email through, and they said, can you chop the, this bit off and put another version up so that we can put it on a playlist? Because it had like this big, long ambient intro. Mm. And I was like, okay, sure. We'll just put a shorter intro on it. Fine. So we just uploaded that and because and, they wanted it for this playlist. Someone at Spotify had heard it and liked it. And, yeah. and then I 
And then it's that idea that like, you know, someone knows someone and so they hear your track and then that's, you're going to be the band that gets playlisted. But then what I've found since is that it does still depend on the music, which I like because we, not everything we release gets put on every playlist and gets put everywhere. It depends on the content of the music and whether they like it, which that's the only thing that makes me still think like, Oh, it doesn't actually matter. It's not just all a fix and it's not all like, because sometimes like whenever I talk to friends of mine, they're like, oh, you know, it's easy for you guys. You're in the door or whatever. And there's some truth to that. But also it's the reason I think that that opened initially is that like Sam wrote a really good lyric, to, mm-hmm. you know, and that, is, that affected people. That was the main thing, you know. Yeah, I and think then, quality is always going to be there. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I think so. people think it's all cheating in, in the world yeah. of Spotify. Well, was you know, radio. and a lot of that is, you know, America is the radio is very controlled, you know, there's a couple yeah. of giant media conglomerates and it was, it was always what was so refreshing about going over to the UK. It was like, we had like two champions over there, Zane Lowe and Marianne Hobbs. And once oh, yeah. we got on to BBC and XFM, we had a career in England or in America, <laughs> every state has at least 10 radio stations. So, you know, you got a freaking you got to play the game in every state in every city, you know, all the way across 50 States. It's a very competitive market. And as you know, when you're starting out, it's extra difficult because if you don't have that foot in the door, a major label Mm -hmm. or the people that controlled radio at that time, you're kind of fucked, you know, or you got to, you know, get in a van, sleep on floors and do it till as long as it takes. But today, yeah, there is, more opportunity radio is less important you know i mean i'm one of the people and i know a million of them that go into their car with their spotify playlist and just bluetooth it to their car i don't want to listen to commercials i want to listen to music um you know pr you don't really need that pr if you got enough presence on social media and the internet you know so the playing field isn't quite level yet but it is kind of coming back to the you know the bar being set at a good song like mm. i just want it to be about a good song anymore you know yeah. <laughs> well yeah that's good because that's good, we we've been learning the tiktok dances to our own song yeah, <laughs> i was gonna say you guys are missing out you're missing out on the on the other way end of the music business which is getting internet famous and then deciding you want to become a musician you know which is literally happening yeah um, right. what yeah. What do you uh what do you guys think about social media? I mean, I know you have Instagram. I know you're out on social media, but do you do you feel like that's a big strategy for you guys to connect with your audience or do you just keep it up? Like some people are like, I just we do what we got to do. But I think like that the hardest points when we're not doing much. Like mm. it doesn't feel too strategic when we're on tour or anything because it's like you're actually doing fun stuff you know and like yeah. it's nice to speak to people that come to your gigs and stay in touch with them the hardest parts when it's trying to sell something on when like the lockdown trying to stay relevant when we're all just sat at home like not really doing anything mm-hmm. but you still try that's when it for me anyway i think you it can start to feel dishonest right it's yeah, like it yeah. starts to feel it starts to feel but bad like, and and it's like and none of us are people who want to share all of our lives on social media like for some people they that's how a way that they convey yeah. themselves and that's fine but we are probably much to the disappointment of everyone that works with us not those people so yeah. <laughs> i almost feel like having a social media life is like so it's so mandatory being mm. it's the to, necessary evil it really right? yeah exactly and it does feel completely evil but you're right. But it is great in some ways as well. There is sometimes in, I have to remind myself that there's there's bands, there's artists, and there's music I've found through social media that otherwise I might not have heard. Or, of course. Mm-hmm. You, so there is there is positives to it, which is so easy to forget about most of the time. I think it's about I think it's about integrity, right? Like it, mm. you just got to maintain what you guys or whoever's doing it thinks is as integrity. There's always going to be the friend that does shit you would never do. You'd say yeah. things that you would never say. And that's make, that's the world, right? It's, there's, there's the spectrum of everybody. But I think that, you know, cause we, we talk with a lot of musicians too, and it's, 
it seems like uh, more and more clear that like that's just a part of the job going <clears throat> forward it you is know, like, I, did, I talked to a girl a female artist the other day who really put it in perspective for me because she's really good at social media like she posts every day on posts multiple times in her stories and i was just like i like how do you how, how do you keep up with all that she's like you know what the way i look at it when i was on tour i'd have to do a morning radio show i wasn't playing music but i had to talk about myself and share something then i'd go do an afternoon freaking interview i'd have a phone call with a paper i had to do all these interviews all the time to keep my career going when i wasn't touring when I wasn't playing, when I couldn't share live stuff. And now that's how social media is. The opportunities mm -hmm. have dropped. My tours were canceled, but yeah. I'm on there every day, yeah. giving my fans pieces of content that are what I'm doing, what I'm working on, what I'm leading up to. She treats it like, like part of the job, really, you mm -hmm. know, but like, Which this is, is what you gotta yeah. do, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. interesting. I it's very interesting especially when you're scheduling it like that because mm -hmm. uh, i mean just the, just the way you're talking about it is so interesting because you're, you're almost pulling down that visor of it just being a medium or a, a screen into someone's life but at the same time it's a screen into someone's life in which they're having to plan to go on mm. social media mm -hmm. every day and then mm -hmm. you sort of wish there were another person filming them just going like that that like the, the five minutes that they're not filming on tiktok and they're just going like jesus christ i've got to go on instagram live in another 15 minutes and i can't fucking stand it i'm not going to be in the mood today and then like i want then i want another camera filming that person like i want to <laughs> yeah. go full on truman show into mm -hmm. like the asian tiktok you guys ever see uh did you ever see the movie the artist you ever watch that yeah, movie that oh that was good so oh, that's kind of like that's the analogy I think that I see um, like modern entertainment versus the entertainment of before where like this guy in this movie, for people who haven't seen the movie, it's about the time when, um, when the films started to talk and there was voice and dialogue versus before it was just song and dance and no talking. And the, the main character was a French guy who, um, couldn't remember lines and he just ended up not making it into the next phase of acting which required a whole different skill set and in 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 speaking you know yeah just it's just a it was a different thing and some people made the shift and some people didn't you know and i don't the the however sad and weird it sounds i don't see technology taking us back at all like the, what mm -hmm. what what the COVID 19 thing did to the world was oh shit, we got to figure out ways to con connect like look at us right now we're all in literally in different parts of the world at least able to see each other in the face like doing a podcast without visuals is a nightmare you know it's like so much easier to be able to like gauge and hey i want to see but like what happens when we're wearing VR headsets and we're wearing like Apple glass and, you know, we're all just kind of halfway staring off into the, into the nothingness. Like it sounds dystopian, right? But it's probably closer to what will be there in the future than not. Right. Well, I could and see the live streaming for ticket prices never going away. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times do you guys drive? four hours to play a gig that's a quarter of the way full you make 150 pounds and freaking you're like oh well it was a gig now you can do ten dollar tickets for the first 25 people from your garage or from your studio and make 250 bucks like I, I don't see that going at least for a caliber of musician i remember starting out and driving to sacramento and san francisco which are like eight hours from san diego and you'd go there and you'd play to freaking 25 people and they'd be like hey, sorry guys here's a hundred bucks you know <laughs> thanks for playing well, and you I know i know that bands still have to deal with that go ahead Connor. that's i uh, just one of the things on that subject the thing i think's quite i'm really interested to see is like how it affects music in the next like two years for example because mm -hmm. the live streaming thing and the live ticket the streaming ticket thing that you're talking about is like 
I don't know what the trends are, obviously, in the States and stuff now, but, but guitar music and band music is definitely, I mean, I don't like using that term too much, but it's definitely not what's trending now, currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that streaming world seems to suit more electronic music more because there's something about, you feel like with bands and they sort of inherently have to play live, it almost doesn't come across the same mm-hmm. over a... Um, yeah. Oh, oh, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, that? when you get like, there's a difference between feeling like, you know, a Vox amp at like full mm. blast versus it going through a thing and you're kind of, you've got it down because somebody's in the other room and you don't want it to be mm. super loud. Like in a pub with it loud, drums, like that experience. And that's I, what I think is like with the limitation of like the 2D environment that we have mm. are able to experience these things on. It's, it's really limited. It won't be even close to being cool until VR becomes something or whatever else happens. Like, like I want to put you guys in my living room right here, you know, and then just chill out and watch if like I can't be in York to see you guys play that's the difference is that like when you guys do play a live show i think what will happen is like hybrid experience so mm-hmm. like you'll have your tour and you'll sell like 10 or 20 extra tickets per show to streaming you know and it'll be yeah longer. right i see what you mean all and of the venues have- around here are buying the rigs now they're like so i was talking to some promoters last week and they're all investing in like super high-tech rigs that they're like, they're not just wanting this for a few weeks. They're just wanting it as an add-on to their future shows, exactly mm. like you said. Their yeah. plan is just to be like, you can... And then now there's some venues in London that have done that a little bit before, but this is going to be like much higher quality and also something that a lot of people are aware of. So it's like, you know, mm. and it, it, in the short term, if we do stay with social distancing, all the agents and all the business people, this is their way of trying to make it make sense financially again. Totally. Isn't yeah, it? and and, you know... It, it, it makes sense. Like what's cool is that I would love to see you guys play at a club. I can't see you play at, right? Yeah. Whereas like the Casbah is a great place to see pe- people play in San Diego. But if you're in England, it's not happening tonight. Right. But it'd be cool <laughs> to, to log in. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, like there's a club and I think, I don't know what part of, of, uh, do you know what the Jacaranda club is? Do you know what that is? So this guy, this guy we know, he he bought this the bar or the the bar that the Beatles used to like rehearse in, and probably in Liverpool. I think it's in Liverpool or somewhere. It's not the Cavern Club, right? That everybody knows about. It's it's this other thing, and they've built a rig out, and they're doing like live streaming, and so they're all just I, only just echoing what you're saying, Brad. Is it? Like these clubs are are getting into that game and what the game is at the end of the day, who knows, right? Um, yeah. But I I just still do think we're kind of like limited by hardware, you know. Mm. And I, I just think as well, like imagine if you were like a you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old kid or whatever, and you where you would maybe have gone and seen a band, and that was your first. Um, first sort of introduction to live music or whatever, you're going to be less inclined to pick up a guitar. Now you'd probably be more inclined to get into programming software and stuff, which is not a negative thing. I'm just, it's just intriguing to see what the knock-on effect of it will be as in what music comes out of it. I think that it, it might be led by what's more interesting. Like if you think about the medium usually leads the like, the medium is the thing that leads what's cool. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're dealing with this medium and somebody figures out how to make that really interesting, then everybody else will start doing similar things. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Mm. And I think it'll be about like, because who knows, what'll it be like these virtual, like, I don't know, like the Imogen Heap person, you know, her, mm. she always, always like, uh, a left field trying shit with like gloves and stuff yeah you know? and like you know, good. it's cool that she's out there like on the edge you know so somebody's on the edge from an experience point of view and they'll get it right and then everybody else will kind of like back into it 
Yeah, but, um, I know what you mean. Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be cool if someone started leading the way like that. Well, we do this weird, really weird gig uh, that I hope people don't steal the idea of. Now I'm announcing it publicly. But we've done this this gig a few times called Float Tank, in which you plunge the audience into pitch black. We've done it on a boat, and we've done it in a couple of venues in Europe. But you put the audience in pitch black. We play in a different room. The PA is in the room that the audience are in, but it's um, like a like a, a, a immersion chamber, you know those float tanks, um, yeah. and you, it's such a strange experience. I've been we've been playing at them, and I've also been in the audience room, and it's so odd, so dark that you can't see the person next to you, but you get so involved in the sort of the vibrations and the uh, I don't really know how to describe it. The, the the immersion within the experience is like nothing that I've ever really done before, and I think that is a sort of experience that could be offered throughout this sort of thing. It's sort of thinking with the limitations that are available now with, with the things that we aren't able to do, you sort of realize what you then can do with people mm. not being too close to each other. Mm. So being able to do a live sort of gig like that, relying on technology while not having to rely with everyone being next to each other in a room. would be kind of interesting is you could double that, triple that, make it 10 X. Like you could be in different cities all in doing like, hey, we're doing a, a float show, it's live streaming. Mm -hmm. And these are the places it's happening tonight. So you need to go and be there. And then you guys or the band would do it at once. And then you just like, hey, you got 10 times the people if you could organize it. And plus, yeah. like, that's kind of a cool one time unique experience that doesn't get recorded. And yeah, I agree. It's like, kind of an interesting, um, way to uh, those those unique or more unique experiences i think are definitely going to be where people are experimenting exactly but this is where the best art comes from isn't it it's yeah. like with, with within the limitations that are left with this people have to struggle to create and through that struggling is where the best things happen so i yeah, think there's totally. going to be some mad music coming out no, music nothing good comes when it's all easy does it exactly. let's be honest yeah exactly <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean that's what that's what the Howell poem is about, or that's how I always read it. The Ginsberg poem is about that, you know, a cry of injustice really, and being um, uh, restricted, and a howl against being restricted. So this is almost like an echoing of that idea. It's pretty that's cool. Really cool. I, what's uh... next? What's next for you guys? Ooh. well, we just did. Um, well, uh, yeah, the reason we may out. sound a little tired is that we we just did two nights in uh, London just before our uh, national lockdown. So we're now locked down. No, we can't really leave. Our, we can only leave our houses for like bread and milk. Um, and uh, But the last two nights we've been playing at a, a venue called the Jazz Cafe in Camden in London, which was a bit of a surprise, really. We've only known we've been doing it for a couple of weeks and we only knew we were doing a second show the night before lockdown, the day before yesterday. So it's sort of what we've been talking about Um it was so strange to actually be able to play to a room full of people and like, feel you guys nervous. Like, did you wear, I mean, obviously you didn't wear face coverings and sing, but uh, no, we did. We wore face coverings to get on stage and okay. Left yeah. Us. yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we were sensible publicly, <laughs> but um, yeah. And then took the, and then took the face coverings off to sing. And yeah, I'm, I, I was shaking like I was a, an eight year old choir boy again. But, uh, but yeah, then I got through the first song and, you know, the nerves started to disappear. But yeah, it was like, I, it was, I don't know, it felt like returning back to the the, the boxing ring after a 10 year stint away from it or something. It was like, I'd, 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 I couldn't remember what to do. I'd forgotten how to warm up. I'd forgotten how to play the guitar. I remember in Soundcheck, usually I've got like a song that I want to play in Soundcheck. It's a cover or I've got a new song I want to play. And I, I got to the stage and I was like, I can't remember any of the fucking words. What am I going to do tonight for an hour and a half? I can't remember any of the words. I've forgotten how to play. What's a G again? Yeah, mm -hmm. it was one of the strangest experiences. But yeah, like riding a very weird six-stringed bike, it, it all came back. So there was definitely a couple of clangers though. We were there was a little bit yeah. of ring rust with it, but it was really fun. And like I was just like shattered after because I'm just not used to the adrenaline hit of adrenaline from it. You know, like yeah. after it, it was just like because we hadn't played since February, I think it was the last mm -hmm. time we played together. I mean, we, we have been able to rehearse and stuff, but that rush you get, which obviously you know, but like when you play live, it was like we both all came off and we, we were in bed by about half ten. We're all zombies. 
And these shows, these shows, how they are now are probably going to be the reality of how shows are going to be. And that's one of the things we've got to work out for next year is how far we can push it because the government here is changing the rules all the time. So what can we do? Is it, you know, we book a show in for a month's time. Is that thing going to change? So that side of doing shows is going to be interesting. And how we do everything is, is, is going to be, is always going to be like a, a slight, a slight challenge, I suppose. But that, 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 it's gone from feeling a bit depressing to me initially when like all your touring's getting cancelled and everything's stopping. That feels horrible. But it's started, especially after the last few days of doing that, to feel a bit more exciting again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, a little optimism. Which is nice. That's pretty yeah, cool because yeah. they're not doing shows indoors yeah, here at all. Like light years ahead really. of us. Clubs but, are yeah. clubs that we love are closing all the time. Like there's a yeah. you know, a place called Starlight in LA that's pretty cool. They're gone. No um, space. Uh, yeah, is it called Starlight? Now? It, no, that's Starlight. That's the bar in town that's going to be gone soon in San Diego. It was the Satellite Lounge? Satellite. That's it. Um, Man. Yeah, like I think it's that's the one thing. Like all those those cool little clubs that exist around that, like you know, they're month to month kind of businesses. You know, there's so many small businesses that that just run month to month. Like they're just hand to mouth kind of feed type businesses. Yeah. And a lot of them are where musicians kind of get their start. Mm-hmm. That's we, it. I mean, it's where, like, yeah, they... I guess it's the size of them as well, isn't it? The small, anything lower than sort of 200 cap, 300 cap. Well, I'm here you're... too. The, um, you know, the, the music club industry is largely reliant on the touring industry. You know, mm. I, in fact, when I was in bands, I remember our agent would line up the festivals and then once you have the festival big money gigs mapped out, you can go through the towns along the way and play. But if we didn't have the fricking big festival tickets, we probably wouldn't have rented the bus, got the crew. We, we probably wouldn't have done the club tours, you know? Yeah, it's like uh, the knock-on effect of it all. Yeah, yeah. so mm. that's that's what's putting, you know, the casbahs the of the world in jeopardy is there is no awesome lineup at the Casbah the weekend of Coachella because there is no Coachella, you know, and, um, and, and things like that. But, you know, I like that you had a, a seed of optimism planted. I, I do too. I don't see live music coming back for at least till the end of 2022 here in the States. Um, wow. That's probably the soonest. And, um, you know, if it comes back earlier, cool. But I think it's now's the time to you know, really figure out what's the plan to keep our audience engaged, stay relevant, stay optimistic in a place where you can reach your audience, then, you know, then like what you just said, sitting around since January, hoping, you know, let's, let's just hope these things fall into place. You know, I I just firmly believe the people that are going to come out on top after this are the people who continually keep their audiences engaged because fucking hey man we know the attention span now shit we used to listen to albums then people started only releasing singles now it's about 30 second chunks of songs you can dance to and the last fucking song i discovered was in a car commercial on that 30 second clip in a car commercial i was like fuck beck's got a new record out this is a cool (laughs) song you know so the attention span is shortening you get your news like this <laughs> you know you get 10 stories every 10 seconds and you know i i just think that if you disappear for three months what does our audience do you know hang <laughs> oh i guess they're done let's go well, this guy's still doing stuff let's go hang out with them you know? what's crazy is it's the the, the i think the, like the amount of big news that happens lately is it's it's a lot like right now there's presidency like that's dominating you know the the news cycle in america at least and um it'll be that way probably for another couple weeks because trump's going to be suing all the different states to try to keep himself in there and and then there'll be something else and there's always covid you know going around the new lockdown not some you know we don't know what's going to happen here in the states but um germany france you guys are in lockdown right yeah Um, started today i'm pretty sure we're not welcome anywhere in the world for covid reasons and other uh, and so like 
it's just a strange time. It's a super strange time. But I really hope to y'all, doesn't judge Americans coming through there again, too, because of the political. I just remember in 2004, I was over in England. It was one of my first times over there. We were at the NME Awards, and I met Carl and Pete from the Libertines. And they all of a sudden came up to my manager. They took me out. We jumped in a cab. We started the party in the cab. And all of a sudden, in this weird street on the way to a club, they pull over. And Carl got right in my face. And he's all, do you fucking like George Bush? I was like, no, man. And he's all, what do you think of black people? I'm all, I don't have anything against black people. He's all, good, our drummer's black. And I'm all, okay. And he's all, all right, if you're cool, then let's keep going. But I was just like... Fuck no, man! Don't don't judge us because the guy. Yeah, I think that in that surely is that surely as bad as what he's saying. If he's judging you from where you're from, like. Yeah. Yeah, well, fortunately, I haven't gone to England since Trump's been in office, so I. Oh my, but that's one of the strangest that... things about this this whole experience is that, the, like, we've we've witnessed us and our friends and our family and anyone that we've got on social media making like basically making fun of what's going on in America, just going like, <laughs> isn't it crazy that they've got like this right wing lunatic in charge with like all that silly hair and all <laughs> of the crazy stunts that he's doing? God, we'd never let that happen in the UK. And then like. <laughs> I can't, I can't scream how much that's happening in the UK. It's like, it, it's like it's, <laughs> we, we don't. It's like we don't see it as the same uh, with the same sort of circus level bravado as it's being done over there. But only because it's like familiar and British to us. Mm-hmm. But because there's like the otherness, because because it's America, because it's across the pond, for us it feels like a TV show. And I'm sure it could be seen the other way over here. If you see Boris Johnson on TV, that guy seems like something out of like a 1980s children TV show. Yeah. But to <laughs> us it's just like terrifyingly real and we just got to live with it every day. But it is a farce. It's well, like you a- know, it's, it, the, the thing is, is that like you probably have the same experience is that everybody that I know didn't choose this guy and the majority of America didn't vote for him. It's just like, just like in, in England, there's, there's like these pockets of people who weren't voting and they were able to grab them and push them into the, you know, into the, into the front and use that. Like it's this big data play. And all of a sudden, you know, four years later, we're like, what the fuck just happened? And hopefully, you know, we can, we can kind of get stuff back, back on, I don't even know what normal is, to be honest with you, but just that isn't. I can say that. Yeah. Um, slippers you know. and days. <laughs> <laughs> Living in slippers. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. But it's like nuts thinking about when you were talking about social media earlier and how that's changed music. Like what it's done to politics is insane. Like the whole. Oh, yeah. You know, if you speak to people about Boris Johnson here, like people, a lot of people that I like say I went to school with or I will say, yeah, but he's funny. They don't know anything about his politics. They don't know anything about his policies, but they'd vote for him because there's a funny picture when he got stuck on a zip wire once. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that's insane. That's actually insane. It's just become theatre, hasn't it? It's like, it's all yeah. weird. Yeah, it's just a weird TV show now. It's like um, Putin has hired as one of his main political advisors has hired the ex managing director of the national theater. And it's like that works so in sync with what we see every day on the news. Cause mm-hmm. it is. Like, is we, that we, true? Yeah, that's true. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's like, cause every day you just get like a little matinee performance of like the 4 PM news. This is what's happening now. I don't know if you heard about the Dominic Cummings thing, if that's a name that's leaked over to there. He was, I guess he was the, sort poisoning, of like, the poisoning thing. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Dominic Cummings was a, he's, he's sort of like the Steve Bannon to um, Boris Johnson's Trump. He's mm, like yeah. the, the little guy pulling all the strings. He's like, he's like a weird little goblin man that lives under 10 Downing Street and pulls all of the strings. But there was a time in, in the first lockdown where he just decided he could, he could drive like 300 miles up to see his parents. And then he lied to the media saying that he was driving his car to test his eyesight. And it turned into this really weird, like, I can't even explain like this weird like fantasy drama, and then, but the, but at this point the entire nation just sort of saw through it and finally called bullshit to it. But it was really interesting finally seeing like the UK peeking through the curtain of this weird drama that we've all been seeing because they were like, this is a bit too weird. This is a bit too 
real. This is a bit similar to like, well, you got you guys have Veep, right? We've got the thick of it over here, but it's like it's very a bit a bit too close to home to realise that mm-hmm. you know the uh, the fabric of reality can sometimes be a bit thin. Wait, yeah. is the thick of it? Like a drama that's similar to Veep in America. It's, it's written mm-hmm. written by the same guy, and it is the British version of Veep. It's like one of the best TV shows. Amanda Bynucci, so good. Check it yeah, out. It's so good. What, what's yeah, interesting right, about about all this stuff is a lot a lot of different things, but it's that we've. Div- I feel like like you, you kind of mentioned it. Is it the how we've devolved? You know from like leadership to be leaders, right? Versus like entertainment. Mm-hmm. I like that guy, he's funny. I voted yeah. for him, fuck it, you know? Exactly. Like Kanye West was on the fucking ballot, dude. Like what? Like, no, Fred's so nice. the guy, like he just, he, this guy's not, he's, there's no place in running a government. Like there's this, I mean, yeah, after exactly. Trump being in place, who knows, right? But like. The point is that that's that's where we've devolved to like these like cast actors, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it feels almost like a te- the attention span thing, right? Mm. It's like it's, you you could make like a, a Vine compilation of the things that have happened in 2020, and like you wouldn't be too surprised if at the end of it it's just like and Big Bird from Sesame Street has won the presidency because we couldn't think of the last six seconds of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> the people are just like fuck it. I don't care. I can't think of anything else. So just end it. Whatever yeah. the season finale is, just make it six seconds it's, and wrap it up. I feel <laughs> like um, Don, Tr- it's like Donald where does Trump it go from here? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I swear, like because we're, like where it's, it's devalued. Go ahead. I think Brad. there's a lag. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Go ahead. It's Brad. devalued, like the idea of of like having to tell the truth. It only really dawned on me today when I read this thing where he, the email that Trump had sent out to all his supporters to like go for them to go and fight against this fraudulent election. And I thought like, this has got to the point where it's devalued the idea of the truth so much that like, how do we come back from this? Mm -hmm. Because is this going to be the normal way of behaving now to some extent? Like, is it even if someone is considerably more truthful than than sort of the last four years have been, or it's just, and it's been similar in this country. And I know people always say politicians lie, but it's reached a new level of absurdity. <laughs> yeah. This. And it's just, oh, I just yeah. don't know how we come back from it. Cause mm-hmm. it's not like, we're not going to have some like, or at least I don't think Biden is that person who's going to come by and be like a knight in Shionama and just reset how things are done. It's like, and actually there's so many people that seem to hook into this, like into like Trump's way of being. Oh yeah, you seem the. I just the, feel like that's, that's going to carry on. Yeah, you know, Giuliani was like oh. a respectable human being, and then all of a sudden he turned into this gargoyle. And like, um, I'm so what, glad what that, that Sasha Baron Cohen like took him down and and yeah. knew uh, Borat. That's <laughs> so good. I just don't know how that happens to like when 9/11 happened. Rudy Giuliani was like, if he ran for president, he would have won. Yeah. He united the country after the biggest terrorist attack we had in our lifetime. And now he's just a fucking moron, you know, like he's <laughs> Trump's dog, really. <laughs> like, well, yeah. you could see you could see all those all those cronies. They all they all treat media the same way. They just bark back like you're a liar. You know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Like and, and everybody's just like not true but we're moving on you know and it's like it's it's like civility versus crazy and crazy wins in every situation right like civil so people are like oh i'm fucking out you, you know you're you be there but um i don't know man i, I ch- brad I, I don't know what the answer is i have to believe that you know you don't let your like it's kind of like do you let your friend hit rock bottom in with drug abuse like hopefully not you know you probably you want to pull them down you want to help them out but like we've all seen train spotting there's always the one you know who gets like (laughs) way down the road but um i i would hope that that you could recover we did have bush for eight years i don't know i mean yeah it's just gonna be like this i think the thing is i so you know we'll wrap it up in a second but uh, I kind of geek out on history and 
and I was reading this book and this guy's like, he's like this, this guy that's won a couple of Nobel prizes on his, on his history. And he's like, every generation thinks, I can't believe this happened. This probably never happened before, but every generation before it has all thought the same thing. Yeah. And we're just always surprised that things are like continuing to happen again and again and again. It's just, that's just the nature of, of the human experience for some reason. But anyways, guys, it's been great talking with you. We need a whole nother um, hour with you guys to do a whole yeah, We'll go write some answers to the questions that we've raised yeah. in this one. And we'll come yeah. back with the super positive, optimistic answers <laughs> to all the negative pessimism that we've come up with so far. All <laughs> right. I think like uh, hopefully some good music will come from it. You know, like before, some of the best like music's come out of political frustration and stuff. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. I hope some musicians. As I said, I was hope some musicians will go and 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 stand up and and talk about stuff and actually put their 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 you know like use their voice. Yeah. Well, that's what I think. Just one last point just before we finish. I think the yeah. strange yeah. thing that is happening in this sort of, as Brad was saying, the post-truth era that we seem to find ourselves in is that the, um, the fascists who are in power have um, got to a, a point where they're the punks. They're the new punks. They're the alternative to like the mainstream main system. There needs to be a new punk. There needs to be like a, an, alter, an alternate to that alternate that doesn't consider itself mainstream to finally be appealing to a group of people that can unite both the left, the middle, and even the majority of the right to then weed out that weird form of basically neo-Nazism that seems to be infiltrating the rest of American and British and a lot of European society. So like, yeah. we just need like a new Johnny Rotten who isn't Johnny Rotten anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Where can where can everybody find you guys? Where's the best place to find you? Um, well, currently in all of our houses, but I think <laughs> like, like we were saying earlier. Well, actually, I don't know if we were, but streaming services uh, can be uh, varyingly helpful at the moment. So we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We've even got, I even started making a couple of TikToks out of dog videos, d dogs dancing to some of our music all right that's Excellent. on there as well and we're on spotify and apple music and we also have a podcast called digging in which uh we interview a few of our friends to talk about uh how their music is made and that's all on spotify as well nice very cool right, cool we'll, we'll link out. to all that in the in the notes so Amazing. uh guys what um our our listeners who might not have heard of you what can we what song should we play them out with for their good first impression of the howling hum um, I would say God Manchester Chinese Bridge, probably. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how most people find us. So, like, if you just go on Spotify, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, we're going to play the song out here. Guys, thanks for taking the time. It's great to see you. Our pleasure. Thanks really so much. Really great to finally connect. Big fans, guys. Appreciate you taking the time. Nice one. It's been a pleasure. We'll do it again. Cheers, guys. We'll Cheers. Successful back when you were interesting, back when we were in the same boat making waves. Back in my head now, you've made yourself very hard to forget now. Do you remember that bridge in the Midlands? They pulled apart just to see how it stood. But now you're something big in the city So cruel to say, but it's such a pity So cruel to say, but I hope you lose your way
inseparable back when you were a reckless one back when we'd get lost to get lost do you remember that mess now i return to god manchester back to the bridge and i see it still standing there i'm still that lost kid wrapping his head around forever but now Chinese bread